So there's a little bit of a time delay. You recognize that because we are sitting in different parts of the world. So it just a takes little a bit. Few, yeah, yeah, just a little bit of lag. Yeah. And with that, our episode has begun. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Cloud Unfiltered. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Nikki Acosta. And we have an awesome guest with us today. We're going overseas to Sweden to talk to our good friend, Per Wurngren. Per, introduce yourself. Thank you, Nikki. It's a pleasure being here. Uh, I have been in tech all my life. I don't uh, know the nitty-gritty of technology, but I know strategy, and I have been living in the Microsoft ecosystem for the past 15, 16 years. And how did you get through technology? I mean, you're, I, I saw your profile and I read up on you. You're an entrepreneur, you're an investor, you're an advisor. Uh, tell us how you, you got into all of that stuff. Take us back a little bit. Were you one of those interesting kids in, in your younger years who toyed around with computers? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I toyed around and um, um, my father um, bought uh, an IBM PC in the early 80s. Uh, that was uh, pretty fun. Uh, and uh, when I finished school, I started to uh, uh, trade in computers. So I bought Apple computers from the US and sold uh, in Europe to a discount. Uh, Apple hated me, but it was really great business. So that's how I started. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, That's pretty neat. Yeah, it was great business. And uh, I learned a lot. And uh, uh, with a partner, I set up uh, a company in England. And uh, we sold computers, uh, especially Apple computers, to uh, um, large advertising agencies. And um, that was fun years. And in... Uh, Parallel, I uh, started, um, today we are talking about recurring revenue, software as a service. So we did in the early 90s, uh, networks as a service. We built a network together with service and everything, and we took care of the maintenance, and we charged a monthly fee. So that was a little bit early, but uh, it was fun and great business. So that's what I've been doing. I also invested in uh, consultancy companies and a few ISVs and uh, uh, computer rental and computer leasing businesses. And um, that's a little bit uh, around everything when uh, it comes to computers. But I, I haven't programmed myself, never. So you're an academic developer. Yeah, kind of, kind of. So, so, so <laughs> I, I love marketing, I love sales, I love leadership, I love business development, but I'm wise enough to let um, good engineers do the nitty gritty. Awesome. I could totally understand that. I also uh, am not known uh, for great development skills, been involved in OpenStack for a long time. And I know that you also had uh, set up a hosting provider, correct? And sold it. Yeah, that's right. So I transformed um, um, a decent consultancy business in Sweden to uh, from uh, we went from selling hours to uh, selling services, and then we transformed our managed services portfolio to selling hosting services, and uh, that was um, um, a great journey. I sold that company last year. We were one of the uh, top hosting providers in Scandinavia. And uh, I sold it to uh, uh, the largest uh, retailer 
in Scandinavia called Dustin. Uh, so Dustin, they have 100,000 customers, but their customers used to buy hardware, but tomorrow they will probably buy services. And that's why they needed a decent hosting provider to um, uh, serve their customers with the needs that they will have. And, and talk to us about your role uh, with the IAMCP. First, tell us what IAMCP is. Yeah, first of all, apologies for that acronym because it is always hard to pronounce, IAMCP. Uh, and it stands for International Association of Microsoft Channel Partners. It is a business network. It started out in the US back in the early 90s, I guess. I took over as worldwide president um, 2004. And uh, at that stage, we were in four countries. And uh, um, when I left the international board, actually this year, uh, I left uh, an association with uh, presence in 44 countries. And uh, this um, business network is a must for a Microsoft partner because the members do business with each other according to IDC to a value of $10 billion every year which is a really great uh, additional revenue. So I, I used to say that if you pay your membership fee and you don't see the value after a year, I will personally refund you. Wow, that's a yeah. good guarantee. And so it's grown substantially. You've stepped away from that now. You yeah, were chairman for because, a while. Uh, yeah, I, I was chairman for four years and I sat uh, uh, as uh, vice president a few years and uh, running uh, Europe, Middle East, Africa and the Pacific for a while. So then I thought that, well, it is time to do a refresh. Uh, I'd done that journey. I took it from four countries to 44 countries. Uh, I had great fun and it was time to leave the association to a new leadership team. So I'm happy and uh, it is like uh, watching your kids grow up. I'm super proud of the IMCP and uh, I'm still uh, a member. Still a member. So, yeah, but so just a member. Talk to us about sort of, you know, Microsoft's transformation. I mean, you, you think of companies that have kind of made, you know, these massive transformations over the years, and Microsoft is absolutely one of them. Uh, you know, as far as like, you know, they've changed their core competencies for partners, and, you know, they've rolled out those programs. Like, what was the magic behind being so successful in moving to cloud, and what skills uh, were important as, some of these partners transformed from kind of these old ways of doing business now to embracing cloud and software. Yeah, so, so Microsoft uh, have done the same journey as most of their top partners have done. Uh, 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 they had a business uh, which uh, was about selling a license and then uh, uh, selling uh, an upgrade. Uh, and uh, it was uh, very transactional. You uh, uh, needed to, uh, to, to do a lot of innovation in order to persuade the customer that bought a license back a few years to buy a new license with a new version. So uh, it was a business that was good uh, for them. Uh, it was a great business um, for its time. But uh, then um, uh, when Microsoft started to experiment around uh, software as a service, recurring revenue business models, it was hard for the people inside Microsoft to uh, persuade the sales and marketing teams to uh, help them because uh, it was not such a nice and cozy business to uh, sell 
perpetual licenses. Uh, and partners loved uh, control. They loved uh, selling a piece of hardware, install the license, and do the maintenance. And uh, uh, partners were also uh, really resisting the new business models. But then, uh, when um, when Steve Ballmer um, uh, held a speech, I think it was in at Washington U University, things started to shift. And uh, when Satya Nadella took over, uh, things uh, shifted a little bit faster. So now Microsoft have, has done the, the journey from selling perpetual licenses meant to be installed on-premise to selling services. And one key element for Microsoft and for partners uh, and for everyone in IT is that you need to change your compensation models. If your compensation models uh, are built in a way so that uh, it is uh, better to sell uh, in the old fashion, your people will never sell the new and fresh services. So uh, you need to change the compensation models and that's what Microsoft did and uh, it um, it was a struggle inside Microsoft, but when they managed to sh really change the compensation models, the new products uh, were more loved by the salespeople. And uh, that is the same thing that Microsoft partners ha have done. Uh, some of them have got rid of their old salespeople and brought in new, fresh salespeople that uh, understands how to sell uh, in a new world, sell uh, recurring revenue services and um, uh, I think uh, it is sad that uh, it is hard to transform old salespeople, but uh, sometimes if they are not changing their behavior, despite the fact that you have changed your compensation models, you need to bring in new people. So uh, it's been a struggle, but for Microsoft and for partners that had done this journey, it has been a rewarding journey. And we see now that the Microsoft stock is, uh, uh, has recovered and uh, is uh, at uh, really decent levels. And it's the same with Microsoft partners that uh, once they have transformed their business to a recurring revenue business, their enterprise value that we talk uh, about uh, when we buy and sell companies is so much nicer than if you are putting a value on a transactional business. It is night and day. And it, it's different the way that you think about customers. I mean, I've, I've, I've kind of followed the space for a while and the shift from, you know, looking at this transactional model into thinking about customers over the value of their lifetime. So customer lifetime value. And it, it seems like such a minor thing because, you know, you think about customer lifetime value, you know, you think, okay, well, has it, hasn't a company always valued their customers? But the, the value is different than it used to be. I mean, if you're on a subscription model and you don't like the service that you get, ostensibly you can leave and, yeah. and look for something else, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that is also uh, a little bit uh, of a mistake that uh, some companies do. They try to lock customers in. They try to sell three-year agreements or even five-year agreements. But uh, in reality, if you want to be successful, it needs to be easy to sign up, but also easy to sign out. So, uh, so uh, uh, customers should be able to leave uh, at an instant. Uh, and that keeps uh, uh, um, vendors uh, on their toes so that they may need to make sure that their services are great so that customers want to 
continue being customers, not uh, lock them in. And, and the, the upside of that is instead of waiting for an upgrade, you know, realistically, yeah. you should be getting new features as they become available, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so, so uh, that is uh, also something that uh, uh, it's a new rhythm for the people that develop products. Uh, uh, instead of uh, uh, developing new uh, new big upgrades, you are constantly upgrading. You probably have a rhythm so that you are doing it uh, once a month or once a quarter, but you don't do it every three years. So it's a constant upgrade cycle. So your customers expect you to give more, and your duty is to always try to give the customers a little bit more. And uh, that's what keep them uh, um, still being customers. And it is also great for recruiting new customers because the best way to attract new customers is to have a customer base that loves your product and that talks about it on social media and everywhere. Speaking of, of new features that roll out, I mean, it's, it's hard to not see AWS as kind of setting a pace for just incredibly rapid innovation. But where do the Microsoft partners find themselves in relationship to Azure versus Amazon? Or, you know, is, is it they're using both? Is it that some things are better for one versus the other? Is there control issues? Is there security concerns? Yeah, so I would say that um, uh, 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 Amazon deserves respect, Google deserves respect, and Microsoft deserves respect. Uh, I believe that uh, as a Microsoft partner and as a customer that loves Microsoft te technology, uh, betting on Microsoft Azure and betting on the products like uh, Microsoft 365, Office 365, Dynamics uh, portfolio, etc., makes sense because uh, Microsoft is, um, uh, they, are, they are both a platform company and an ISV. And that combination is uh, really compelling. Uh, if you look at things around artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, um, B, BI, Microsoft uh, uh, have done a decent job adding that functionality to their services uh, on the uh, on the Azure platform and also on the Office 365 platform, you have a lot of functionality so that you, if you are a developer, you don't need to develop everything from scratch. There are services that you can plug in that works well and that are, some of them are for free and some of them are almost for free. So it is a richer environment if you are betting on Microsoft Azure and a 365 portfolio than Amazon. But I still believe that Amazon, they deserve a lot of respect. So where are partners making money it, with Microsoft? My, traditional, uh, part traditional partners. Have, I yeah, mean, obviously there's probably some that have crossed yeah. the divide or some who have traditional, traditional partners are still a little bit leaning on selling hours. Uh, they might package uh, uh, their professional services uh, into uh, projects, but it is very much um, based on selling hours. Uh, more and more partners are discovering that uh, uh, instead of leaning on selling hours, they can uh, uh, document and uh, standardize their 
IP, their intellectual uh, properties, and uh, try to sell a service, a managed service of some kind. And that's where you really earn your money. If you're selling hours, it, traditionally you'll uh, have a margin of like 10%, 10-15% over the course uh, of um, a business cycle in your company. Uh, uh, of course, the gross uh, margin is higher, but the net margin will be 10 to 15 percent, more closer to 10. Uh, and if you're selling managed services uh, and you have packaged your IP, you will probably see something that is at least three times higher. Three times higher in margin, but also when it comes to uh, uh, valuation of your company, it is um, three times higher. So uh, that's where Microsoft uh, partners are making money and that's where they should try to make even more money. So give us, give us some examples of this intellectual property or, or some customer examples that you've seen. Yeah, so, so uh, I can give you a few partner examples. Uh, I love Catapult. Catapult, they uh, were a traditional SI and uh, they um, started up uh, a, a new department um, in their company that was all around uh, selling services in the cloud. And after a few years, that department became uh, 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 their biggest asset and they got bought by a Chinese company, I think it was last year. And they are super successful. They are around 1,000 employees. There are also uh, uh, partners like... Um, um, Nintex uh, that are uh, up in Seattle that are um, born in the cloud and that, that are uh, making um, great business and uh, when you're born in the cloud you don't have necessarily geographical boundaries so you can sell your services all around the globe and that's what uh, they are doing. So there are a few parties that are really making a good living uh, but uh, they need to embrace uh, the new model of delivering computing services and they need to uh, make sure that they have sales and marketing people that are really up to it. Do you and see... Leads... Go ahead. Yeah, and that leads me to another thing that I want to point out that it is important that, that marketing needs to change. It needs to be digital marketing. Uh, uh, more and uh, less um, uh, old guys in suits uh, uh, going out on customer calls. Uh, perhaps you need them, but uh, you should lean much more on digital marketing. So digital marketing, uh, which is around storytelling, blogging, and uh, everything around that. It is like uh, when you are buying a new car or a new dishwasher, you probably do, your, do the most of your sales uh, uh, work uh, yourself and a study that uh, I read you have probably also read it, it says that the 60% of the customer journey is being done before the potential customer is being known to the company that uh, might be um, the ones that are selling the services so you need to capture them as early as you can and you need to be relevant online and if you're relevant online you can also um, in a much better way, fine tune how you do marketing and uh, sales, and uh, it's uh, so much better, so so much more more efficient than uh, doing it uh, old-fashioned way. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't think of 
any time in the last two years that I've eaten at a new restaurant without first checking online reviews. Yeah, and the online reviews you are checking is uh, peers, other other guests that have been there. It used to be that you were looking at uh, the New York Times or the Sagat Guide or perhaps Guide Michelin, but nowadays it is people just like you that have been there and uh, what they are saying is so much more credible than uh, if uh, someone else is saying it. So what does that mean for salespeople? Do salespeople deserve less money? Do they deserve to make the same amount of margins? Do they, Yeah. what is, uh, what is the salesperson supposed to do? First of all, perhaps you need less of them. And uh, if you need less of them, perhaps, uh, you need um, more young people, people that are born uh, in the cloud era. Uh, for some verticals, and this is also important that um, uh, it is more verticalized now than it used to be before. For some verticals, you need the old um, fashion salespeople, the ones that really knows the business. But it is less sales and more subject matter experts that you need. You need people that really can go in and have a consultative sale instead of people that are just selling anything that's on the shelf. Yeah, I mean, I think about our, our own Cisco salespeople and just the sheer number of products they have to know about in order to be able to, to service their customers. And it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. Yeah, uh, and, and I think about that often, you know, like reducing sales friction, being able to get you know, customers the ability to get their hands on the software without necessarily even interfacing with a salesperson. You know, yes. is, is that what the future looks like? Yeah, that is part of the future, but uh, we all know that uh, it's uh, never uh, uh, fully uh, what we dream about. Uh, it's not, uh, it's not, it, we will still have in some verticals uh, people that are selling the tra traditional way. But if you are a salesperson, you need to make sure that you also become a subject matter expert and you need to embrace the new ways uh, that you are going to engage with your customers. Otherwise, you are toast. You'll be like a dinosaur. You're out. I, I I've done some uh, some internal videos throughout my career teaching salespeople how to use Twitter, even, you know, and it's a it, it seems like such a minor thing, uh, but it's so yeah. critically important for salespeople to have these these digital skills. Um, yeah, and, it, and it's kind of. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, and social selling is the word. Uh, social selling. If you are a salesperson, uh, lesson A: start to uh, use Twitter. Lesson B, start to use LinkedIn. Lesson C is to make sure that you are relevant on these platforms so that you can drive conversations and you can engage in conversations without selling. If people see you as being a subject matter expert in a field, they will trust you and eventually that will give you business opportunities. So social you, selling instead of driving your old Chevy up, up the street. Do you find a mistrust in technical, like technical roles? Do, do technical people typically distrust traditional sales people and traditional marketers? I find that a little bit. I wonder if you find it too. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, uh, very much so. And uh, it is also a fact that uh, uh, we used to sell to the IT departments. 
but uh, but uh, uh, so we use the cell to to technical people but uh, more and more the IT budgets are being controlled of the line of business it is marketing managers it is uh, well all kinds of managers that are not related to IT that control most of the spending uh, more than a majority of the spending and uh, in order to engage with them you can't just sell you need to understand what their needs are and you need to come up with solutions for how to give them a better feeling so you are relevant to them so it seems like it's more of a, a conversation online than it is sort of a megaphone approach or a billboard approach people yes. tend to be interacting and there's probably an emotional component there that wasn't there before in some way at least yeah. i feel that way yeah yeah, I've, I think so too. And uh, you need to be relevant. You need to be 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 honest. And uh, if people see you as uh, not being honest, uh, just selling whatever you have on the shelf, then mm, perhaps they want to engage with someone else. Yeah, no kidding. So, so do you know anything about Microsoft's sort of uh, internal enablement? You know, you talked about some partners and how they had to hire new salespeople, but. What has the effort been like on Microsoft's front to transform their massive amount of salespeople and partners to be able to even be relevant in conversations around cloud and automation and software as a service and those types of topics? Yeah, so it's not something that can happen overnight, I'm guessing. No, uh, it's a journey. Uh, and uh, Microsoft have done most of the journey, but uh, it has taken uh, some time. Uh, a lot of people have uh, 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 went uh, away and uh, a lot of new people have been brought in. So changing compensation models, uh, that's one thing. Uh, making sure that uh, people inside Microsoft are uh, not working in silos. They are not working just on their commitments. They are instead working more as, uh, as part of a team. Uh, that has been a major thing that Satya Nadella has brought in. Uh, he has really changed the mindset. And uh, uh, Microsoft uh, did a reorg this summer that will further enhance this and it will uh, make it uh, easier for customers to engage and easier for partners to engage. So uh, I think that they are really on the right track, but it has taken a few years and uh, uh, of course, there's been a price to pay, but there's also been a nice reward in terms of Microsoft being so much more relevant now than perhaps they felt that they were seven years ago. Yes. So fascinating. I'm sure, you know, someone could write a book about that kind of transformation that would be hugely popular because it seems like it seems like the technology part is not so difficult, but it seems like the cultural element is what is so difficult, old processes, old ways of doing things, old ways of you know, interacting with customers, all that has changed. Yes, yes. And continues to change. And who knows what it's gonna look like five years from now or 10 years from now when you have artificial intelligence everywhere. Yeah, perhaps uh, you and I will be redundant. AI will take over <laughs> our jobs. Hopefully AI won't have good podcasts though. Yeah. I'm baking uh, on that. 
Perfect. So we're we're getting close to time here, but I wanted to to ask you about one more thing because you've written extensively about diversity, and you know it's timely given recent events that have happened at Google and other places, and lawsuits and all kinds of things. But I wanted you to to have a moment to share your thoughts on gender diversity and just diversity in general because I think you have some very good points to make. Yeah. So thank you. So first of all, uh, I think it is. Uh, really strange if you say no to talent uh, you need to uh, embrace uh, talent regardless of gender race faith or something else that you feel being uh, unusual so uh, i believe that uh, having um, diversity enriches any organization having people uh, uh, if you have an organization with all male, white men uh, of Christian faith, well, you will probably not be able to serve uh, all of your potential customer base. And uh, uh, you will not uh, come up with the uh, most relevant ideas for how to develop your business. So I believe that it is um, uh, so much more compelling if you uh, say yes to uh, people that are not just like you. And then if we uh, specifically drill into uh, gender, uh, we need to help women to rise into uh, the CEO uh, seat. We need to make sure that, uh, that we empower women so that uh, uh, we give them a helping hand and give them the opportunity. And it's a little bit ladies first. We as men uh, need to open up the door uh, we need to uh, make sure that we see potential female leaders and that we um, uh, help them to rise to the top. It, it is something that uh, 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 that was my farewell gift to the IMCP Association, uh, making sure that we started a project uh, with a female uh, project um, manager, uh, making sure that uh, all our 44 countries should feel a pressure to elevate female leaders, to to uh, uh, to make sure that uh, when they're nom when they're nominating people uh, to uh, president, uh, VP, and uh, secretary and other positions, they should look a little bit closer on if they had female candidates, and that's an ongoing project. I'm super proud of that project. Part of of that project is also to make sure that we bring in uh, more people that are not white uh, and um, more people that are not Christians. But uh, paramount is to make sure that uh, it is ladies first. And part of that, we talked a little bit about uh, this before the show, was just you know larger cultural attitudes, things like paid leave uh, for for women yeah. who are having a baby and men too, right? Yeah, so, so some of the very best leaders that I have recruited have been moms. Moms that uh, uh, after a while wants to come back and work. Super brilliant people. And uh, uh, they, 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 they often, uh, I don't want to generalize, but uh, 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 I can generalize, generalize still. They often have another type of experience that uh, um, makes them really good leaders. So that's my tip of the day, to uh, find moms that wants to return to work. They will be excellent leaders. Take a closer look at them.
and they will probably be a little bit more loyal, perhaps, than some of the men. I love that about you. Thank you for talking about that. Per, I know it's a hot topic and there's a lot of, you know, political stuff happening around that topic. It's become politicized, but uh, it's really refreshing to, to see someone who is so passionate about helping women uh, get into roles because it's good for business, right? It's great for business. And it, it, it's, it's also the decent thing to do. Like, like uh, uh, we need to make sure that we see all, all people uh, we need to see uh, female leaders, we need to see uh, uh, people um, that are black, people that are Muslims, we need to embrace diversity and that will make better businesses, better businesses that can take on more, more diverse markets and it will also create uh, more innovation, I believe. So don't say no to talent. Embrace diversity. Yay! What a great way to close this out. Well, where can we find you on Twitter? It's just your name, right? Yeah, yes, my name. P E R. P. P E R Vongren. W E R N G R E N. And it's down below. Uh, if you're on Google, it's down below underneath the post. We'll also link it for you uh, in the blog. So thank you, Per, so much for joining us. Uh, thank you to our audience like subscribe we're doing a new format trying to shorten the show a little bit because some of you have said that you want to be able to listen to a full episode on your commutes so we're shooting for about 30 minutes now but let us know what you think follow us on twitter at cisco cloud follow me at nikki acosta and we will see you next week say bye per thank you nikki thank you audience this was great